This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, John Ford, thanks very much for making your debut on Talk Your Book. Really appreciate your time. I thought it'd be a good place to start if you, you talk us through the Lau Resources Fund and it uh, feels like a pretty exciting time to be in, in resource funds management. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on the on Talk Your Book. Great to be here. So, Lowell is um, it's it's an unusual fund. It's just focused on junior resources. We've been around for forever. I've been involved in the fund for the last four years, but the fund has been run by the current management company since two thousand and three. So, what's that? Seventeen years. And uh, when when the current management took it on, it was a it came out of the AXA. Access stable. It was a uh, sort of a moribund unit trust with a with about 500 unit holders, um, and just invested in things like BHP and Rio Tinto, etc. So we now do in the same sector. We now do the complete opposite. We invest in junior, high risk, high return potential opportunities, uh, and it's across across the spectrum of commodities. So at the moment, we're mainly uh, we're about 50% focused on gold, but we do everything right through to oil and gas. We've got about 10% of the portfolio in oil and gas stocks. So in between, there's uh, base metals, copper, lead, zinc, nickel, battery metals. The funds had some good success with with lithium on the, in the bat on the battery side of things, and we'll look at um, more esoteric commodities as well. So, you know, we, we look across the spectrum. Uh, we're mainly focused on the pre-developers. So as I said, we're not, you know, investing in generally in the BHPs. We're investing in the guys who are exploring and developing and, and adding a lot of capital value, we hope, to, to their share price. Uh, and generally, you know, not always, but generally we'll look to exit at that sort of development decision where, um, uh, you know, you get into arguably the more boring boring stuff where there's a lot of permitting, you know, financing, construction risk, which a lot of the time, you know, junior companies doing it for the first time, it, it is, um, you know, there's a lot of pitfalls there for, for juniors. So, so generally we're focused on the exploration and feasibility stage, guys. And what stock do you want to talk about today? Look, it's a stock that's uh, very close to our heart um, at Lowell, one that we've been in since it listed in 2010. I think it was December 2010, uh, a company called Predictive Discovery, PDI. We've been long-term supporters of, of the team there, really like their, their management and their approach, their geological approach. Um, uh, and, you know, very pleased to say that this year it's um, that... Uh, that uh, faith in the company has been rewarded. Yeah, they've had a huge run this year. Maybe you give us a bit of a background on, on what they do, where their projects are, and maybe a little bit of background on their management as well. Sure. Look, they've actually got one uh, joint venture, um, expir- gold exploration joint venture here in Victoria, but, but really their focus is, has been West Africa from you know, over the last 10 years. So they've got a lot of experience in that part of the world and three, company, three countries in particular. They were um, heavily focused on Burkina Faso, 
um, they've joint ventured uh, all of their assets there off to a Canadian company. Then they had um, quite a focus in Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast, and all of those assets have now been joint ventured off to what has become uh, a joint venture with Resolute Limited, uh, which is a major Aussie listed uh, gold miner with a focus in West Africa. And, and, and recently, uh, mid last year, they moved into a new country, Guinea, in, in West Africa, uh, and um, took up a bunch of new, new reconnaissance permits, which have become expiration licenses um, throughout Guinea, based on their, um, their in-house pred predictor technique, or it's a, it's a proprietary um, targeting technique to identify areas in large geological terrains, which um, they think will be more prospective for, for gold. So, so predictive discovery, it's, it's all about gold. They don't, um, they don't look at any other metals. And who are their management? And talk to me about what sort of skin in the game they have. Yeah, look, um, the, the, the guy who leads the charge there um, is Paul Roberts. He's a geologist. He's got a, a very good pedigree. He's come out of the majors, um, spent time all over the world. He's a Spanish speaker. Um, you know, he's obviously spent a bit of time in Latin America. Um, uh, and the, the generation of, of the company was this predictor technology was helped, was developed partly with CSIRO. And so this was a commercialization of that, of that technology. So, um, uh, Paul's got, um, only one or 2% of the company. Um, but certainly in terms of skin in the game, he's put in the hard yards over, over 10 years, hasn't, um, you know, been paid very much at all. Uh, and um, you know, very dedicated, very dedicated guy. Um, and they've got uh, the exclusive other... rights to that technology, have they? They're not using, not distributing that to any other explorers. I think, I think that's right. Yeah. Look, um, uh, Predictor, um, that's not used by anyone else. Yeah. And yeah, it's a bit of a black box to me, but it's yeah. uh, it's definitely worked. <laughs> and their capital structure? What's their market cap? How many options have they got? And and what sort of cash have they got in the bank? Yeah, so they've got about a bit over 800 million shares outstanding. Um, they did a rollback, I think it was was last year. I think they've got somewhere in the order of 30 uh, odd million options, which some of some of which are in the money. That will probably they're they're, they're fairly long dated I've, I've, from memory, but that would realise about 1.6 million dollars um, if they're all exercised. Um, the current cash, I think, at the end of um, the last quarterly they had eight million, but they've been spending that. So understand they've got about six million Aussie in the bank, which is um yeah, you know, say they're spending at two million a quarter, which is what they what they've been doing. Probably be a bit less this quarter because drilling has had a hiatus due to the wet season in West Africa. Yeah. They're about to kick off kick off drilling again. But um yeah, so you know they're probably good for another another three quarters through to mid next year. But I would expect them to be raising money, you know, well before, you know, they run out. And the banking project is really what, what's put them on the map. And uh, maybe talk us through a little bit about that prospect and, and what some of the, the ground they've got to drill uh, in an upcoming sense, which is getting a lot of investors excited. Yeah. So bank and um, I think they pegged that, you know, maybe around August last year, they, they previously had a, um, what you call a project generator model which um, they would go out, peg the ground, and then look, at, look to joint venture it off 
to a bigger company to you know, get it off their balance sheet and offset their risk. And that worked well um, while the industry was in the exploration industry was in, in the doldrums and, and it was very hard to raise equity um, for you know, junior, junior explorers. But um, you know, that's, that's changed dramatically this year. And also, you know, I had a lot of conversations with Paul Roberts, the MD, about, you know, if you're going to invest in junior resources, you want to get as big a bang for your buck as mm. possible. It's a high risk sector. So you don't want to have a big success and then say, oh, well, we don't control this anymore. Um, you know, someone else is, um, you know, r- driving the bus on this one. So they adopted a new strategy last year. Let's get 100% of these projects. Let's use our in-house technology and go into a new country, Guinea, which, you know, to be frank, is not the easiest place to, to operate, but um, lots of opportunity. So they used their technology. They identified, I think they've got five current permits. They had a couple more, which they did first pass, first pass assessment on and, and then dropped them, let them go. So they currently hold about five in the Seguri Basin in, in Guinea. Um, and those all um, look prospective at various stages, but definitely the most advanced one is um, the Bankan project, Bankan Tenement. Um, back in February this year, they completed um, a power auger, what they call a power auger uh, program, which is a, um, a grid of drilling across um, a couple of the more prospective areas where there had been some historical artisanal mining um, and, and some um, uh, rock chip samples which contained all grade gold. But generally these areas are completely covered. There's no outcrop. You don't, um, you don't see ore, ore zones at surface. So they had to do you know, shallow, shallow drilling. This power auger goes down you know, 10, 12 metres, takes a sample at the bottom. Uh, and some of the results on that were really eye-catching. I think um, you know they were getting several meters at um, uh, you know seven to seven to ten grams in this power auger technique, which is like a soil sample. And if you get you know ten grams in a soil sample, that is really extremely high grade. The market didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. Um, the company did a small raising. I think they might have raised half a million bucks. Half a cent, wasn't it? Half a cent, yeah. Look, you know, it was it's one of the best investments I've ever made. We put yeah. in fifty we put in fifty grand. We should have put in all of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, um yeah, and so you know, when they um turned uh, got the bigger rigs out there, um they did an air core program and I think you know the, the best result was forty six meters at six six odd grams a ton. And yeah, you know, that the, the share price went from 0.6% to 4.9 or something like that in a day. And uh, the news was that's the biggest one-day rise on the ASX in, in three years. So, um, yeah, they're now, now trading around in the low sixes, six cents a share, I think. And so I'm not a, a technical guy, but when you, you look through their presentation, you know, you, you see the diagram of the, the two different gold deposits in that, that bank and deposit and the three-kilometre mm. space between the two. Is that the most prospective space that you're most excited about them drilling out? The the power auger is is probably their most uh, useful regional technique, and they're working towards um, infilling the power auger grid between those two.
two zones in that in that three k zone. Um, but they're trying to drill on I think an eighty meter by eighty meter grid. Um, so it takes you know that's a, that's a, requires a lot of holes to fill that in. But um, they've had a couple of really interesting hits as they work from um, east to west from northeast Bankan down to Bankan Creek. Um, there've been a couple of high grade power auger hits which need to be followed up. And then there's a new zone of artisanal mining a bit to the north, which has just been identified as well. So it looks like there could be a third north, north, northerly trending zone there. And then, you know, there's probably the best part of still two kilometres to infill between the zones. So who knows what's in there. But often, you know, geologically, you can get these what they call on echelon zones where you get um, a, a a zone there and then you get one offset there and then you get another one, another one. So it could actually be a larger zone that trends to the northeast and, and the, the on the northeast side of the project completely untested. So, um, yeah, it's very, you know, as the company says, very early days, but, um, you know, to have gone in there from pegging it in August last year to uh, being at the point of having defined two pretty major zones in 18 months, at, um, in less than 18 months, it looks um, very prospective. And they want to have a Jork resource out by the middle of 2021. I know it's early days, but what sort of blue sky number are you hoping for in terms of answers that you'd hope they could have at a deposit if all goes as well as possible? Yeah, look, you know, um, everyone's got their own views on this. Um, I think Hartley's, uh, the brokers came out with a piece of research um, back in July, which sort of said, well, you know, we think they, at that point, you know, got their arms around, you know, half a million ounces at least. Um, they've definitely made some big, big strides forward um, since then. Uh, you know, this morning they put out another announcement, um, 90, 90 metres, and, and our, a percussion drill hole, 90 metres at 1.9 grams per tonne at the smaller of the deposits, which is, well, currently smaller of the deposits, which is Bankan Creek. So that is looking like, uh, you know, becoming a quite a substantial zone as well. And Hartley's, you know, back in July said, oh, well, we think they might only have 50,000 ounces there at the moment, but definitely looks bigger than that. So I think, um, you know, initial resource um, next year, I'm optimistic that, you know, they'll have at least a million ounces um, in that initial resource. And it'd be able to be open pit mined? Yeah, look, you know, the company's talking because it's such a wide zone. Um, you know, initially, because there was no outcrop, they went and drilled it in the wrong direction. And they drilled it from east to west, as, as you always do. Then after a bit of drilling, they realised, no, we should turn the rigs around and drill it from west to east so we get a true width. Um, uh, and they've been working their way down. The deepest intersection, I think, in some diamond drill holes is at about 150 metres deep. And it looks like it could actually be thickening at depth. Um, if that's the case, then an open pit will prob would probably drive down well below 150 metres and it could, it could drive down to a base at, you know, 200 metres plus. So, yeah, it's a nice thick zone which should be very amenable to open pit. And we know Cardinal Resources had a takeover offer from the Russians and there is a, some takeover interest in... The smaller the gold mining space, if things go to plan in, in the next couple of years, do you think there could potentially be some suitors for, um, for PDI? Yeah, I think so. Look, West Africa is probably up until, you know, we saw um, 
the Northern Star Saracen merger this week. West Africa's probably been the most fertile ground for M&A in the gold space um, in the last you know, 12 or 18 months. Um, you know, seen, seen Cardinal get a, you know, be subject to a takeover battle between the Russians and the Chinese. Um, uh, and that's, um, you know, going for on, on a per ounce basis, about $100 an ounce, which, which looks pretty cheap to me. Mm. We saw Resolute take, um, take out a private company called Mako Gold for their Toro Gold project in Senegal. Um, that was done at about 120, 120 bucks an ounce. Um, and then, you know, you've seen other, other deals like a combination of two Canadian companies, Endeavour and, and Semifo, um, which have got uh, a number of projects across, across West Africa. We saw um, the Perseus and Exor, uh, Perseus take out a small company called Exor, and that was done at um, several hundred dollars an ounce. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's been very active. Generally, though, what you're seeing is it takes, you know, you've got to you've got to get your projects reasonably well advanced. You've got to probably at least have a pre-feasibility study done on them to, at the moment, to attract, you know, a takeover bid. So, and I think, you know, it'll be a couple of years before Predictive are in that space. And so when you're valuing these sorts of companies, let's say you put a $100 per ounce valuation on a West African gold play, Something with similar geology in a jurisdiction like Australia, what sort of premium would you put on that same deposit in a, a first world jurisdiction like Australia versus a West African jurisdiction? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and that, um, that uh, enterprise value per ounce metric or benchmark is moving all the time. Mm. Um, it certainly you know, has increased a lot this year with the gold price, you know, Aussie dollar gold price at over $2,600 an ounce. Um, you know, a typical deposit, um, you know, in WA, for example, might have an all-in sustaining cost um, in operation of about maybe 1200 bucks an ounce. So you're making over 100% margin. Um, you know, so at $2,600 an ounce, if you're producing your ounces for 1200, you're making 1400 bucks an ounce. And these takeovers, you know, as, as a result are getting done at higher and higher prices. So, you know, you're seeing, you know, you know, 150, 200, 250, 300, um, you know, uh, is, you know, being paid for, for projects in, in WA and sometimes, you know, north of 500. So this dollars per ounce. So, so there is a, quite a differential. There's definitely a, you know, what we call an Africa discount. Um, and, and that's, look, you know, justifiable for sure. You know, there are some real political ructions in West Africa and, and security issues. Um, but, you know, you saw, I think just last month, you saw a coup in Mali, which is a neighbouring country to Guinea where predictive discovery are. Um, and I was thinking, gee, well, share prices are going to get hit for all those West African gold miners today. But there was barely a blip. It's sort of almost like normal operating procedure. And, and often when these political eruptions happen, the, the mining industry and gold mining industry sort of sails through um, because... Um, those industries are so important to those countries in, in West Africa. Do you have any countries in Africa where you just feel that's just too hard and, and you, you, you won't go? You go to the Congo, for instance, or are there any countries that are just too much for you or are you happy to explore anywhere? Yeah, look, you know, I um, made some fantastic investments in the previous life uh, in the Congo, in the DRC. Um, so, you know, I'm definitely personally open to that. 
I think, um, you know, from a, from a mining point of view, what I am wary of in Africa is the countries which generate a lot of revenue from oil and gas. And that somehow seems to always muddy the waters in terms of the mining industry. Um, you know, the, the countries that have got an oil and gas mindset generally. So that's Nigeria, for instance, to be in that category. Exactly. Really? Nigeria and Angola are you're probably two of, the, two of the main ones, the biggest, uh, biggest oil and gas oil producers in, in Africa or, yeah. or southern, sub-Saharan Africa, I should say. So, yeah, you know, and then there's a couple of, you know, like Central African Republic, um, you know, it's not, um, not the easiest place to do business. Um, you know, places like Zimbabwe, very tough at the moment, have been fantastic. So, yeah, look, but definitely more countries than not we're, uh, we're prepared to have a look at. Beautiful. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for giving us the tip. Look forward to putting it on the watch list and uh, watching, it, watching it from here. Thanks for coming on. It's a great pleasure and thanks very much for having me. Thanks, John. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.